when this podcast is released, I am in training. It's a very loose use of the word to run 10K on May the 22nd, 2022, in order to raise money to help the people currently beleaguered in Ukraine. I'm trying to get medical assistance and help out there. So I have a GoFundMe page. Toby's wheezing and groaning for 10k for Ukraine. So if you enjoy this podcast, if you could send even the smallest amount over to that GoFundMe page, it would really help. Thank you very much. Throughout this broadcast, the director Michael Ferguson is referred to in the present tense because it was recorded before his death in 2021. I hope the praise herein stands as a tribute to an excellent director and very nice man. Welcome to this omnibus edition of Happy Times and Places, a positively inclined Doctor Who commentary podcast in which I, Toby Haydock, get a friend to choose Doctor Who story and their favourite things about it, and I have to guess what they are. Hi there, my name is Pip Maidley, and I suppose I'm best known for being a Doctor Who nerd on Twitter, so if you're a fellow Doctor Who nerd on Twitter, then perhaps you might have heard of me. I'm taking time out today from babysitting Mavellans to watch one of my personal favourites. It's the classic 1966 William Hartnell story, The War Machines, which always takes me to a happy time and place. Now, Toby has asked me to come up with five of my favourite things, but will he manage to actually guess any of them? Well, stay tuned to find out. Well, welcome, everybody. Um, I've completely torn up my plans uh and just watched a story that i decided i fancied watching um i wanted to do a bit of black and white i wanted to do some hartnell the next hartnell on my list though was marco polo which is seven episodes that don't exist and uh a story i don't know very well uh that i would have had to chew through two and a half hours worth of telesnap reconstructions so much as the special guest who has guided me on the journey to Cathay uh, is somebody I was very much looking forward to hearing from, I'm a bit tired. And uh, so I chose uh, a, a slightly easier, a morsel that's slightly easier to digest uh, and uh, also one that uh, timing wise is, uh, well, is appropriate as we will discover. So as uh, special guest Pip, uh, who's a genius uh, on the internet, and a very funny man, and I'm really pleased he's uh, uh, contributed to this, he has uh, recorded his favourite things about this story. I'm going to see if I can guess what they are. So uh, I have the DVD in my machine, and I am going to ask you to press play all or play episode one or whatever you're going to do in three two one ah now i have a very interesting relationship with this story i always get a bit cross when season polls and things happen online uh and it's season three and everybody chooses the war machines above things like the massacre and the myth makers um uh which are better stories uh and the gunfighters um which i think are more interesting you know takes on the show but of course at the time this was a very interesting take on the show because 
there was nothing like it. We'd never been to contemporary Earth before. But because I think it's so like what is to come, I sort of think, oh, well, people are only voting for it because it's what they're used to from the Pertwee era or whatever. Um, that's a brilliant opening shot. Director Michael Ferguson, uh, who having been a floor manager on... Uh, Things like oh, the first Dalek story uh, becomes one of, I think, the most interesting classic series directors. Now, I think this is subconsciously why I've chosen this story. Uh, dear Jackie Lane, there, uh, who played Dodo, has just, uh, well, the news has just broken. Found out this week uh, that she passed away, actually, two or three weeks ago. Um, and, oh, <laughs> excuse me. And, uh, I'm rather sad about that. I've never been a great fan of Dodo. Um, but I met Jackie Lane on a train. <laughs> Would you believe? Um, I was never going to meet her at a convention. I was never going to meet her doing a DVD because she didn't do them. She was the Greta Garbo of Doctor Who, bless her. <clears throat> and um, Scotland Yard whipped off into time and space. Uh and I was getting, I, I used to get that London train, London to Manchester, a lot. And I always used to go for ca um, uh, 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 cabin, not cabin, uh, whatever whatever they're called, Coach E, because Coach E was the unreserved one. And I always wanted to get a table so I could plug in and do a bit of work on my laptop, whatever. And I saw this person getting on, Coach E, and I was like, oh, uh, and struggling with a big bag. And she was small and struggling with a big bag. I was like, now she's going to be in the door and I'm going to wait behind her. Then everyone's going to fill up from the other end. And oh, my journey's going to be. And I was thinking this as I was approaching. And she was still quite far away. And I thought, I think that's Jackie Lane. Uh, and I know I'm probably prone to hallucinating Doctor Who actors wherever I go. But, you know, good golly, I was right. <clears throat> So I like the use of the wind machine there. Um, it's isn't it great seeing? Uh, I I love the 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 fact that Dodo and the Doctor seem so close, and there's something fabulous about seeing Hartnell in contemporary London because this this is a novel sight. This is this is actually seeing Hartnell in contemporary London is as strange as seeing a police box on a quarry planet or whatever. So I know that I think any problems I have with this story are based on my love for season three and the fact that this always, as I say, seems to top the polls. And I, I, I do think it's perhaps not as necessarily as esoteric and interesting and just slightly odd as the John Wiles era. Um, but also I think I need to get over myself a little bit with it. I'm, I'm fully aware of that. <clears throat> um and isn't it interesting that Doctor Who can just walk into the post office tower? But that's a great thing as well, isn't it? Makes it a really interesting period piece that he's gone to the, uh, you know, he's gone to the the great new edifice in London. Uh, John Harvey there as Professor Brett. See, I think my main my main image of this story is of John Harvey, John Cater, and Alan Curtis as the three human, not villains, but the three humans who've been taken over standing in a room telling each other the plot but uh, uh, standing because michael ferguson is a great director uh, his placement of their bodies his placement of them is always quite interesting and and good to look at um but to me that it's not as you know that doesn't have the sly intellectual wit of donald cotton it doesn't have the uh, strange ambition of the arc it uh, uh 
what other stories do, does I mention? Oh, it doesn't have the the sort of brilliant doom laden uh, thing that uh, John Luca Rotti gives to the to the massacre, uh, which is a lovely uh, you know has a, has great period stuff as well. I love the historicals anyway, um, but in its own right, this has many glorious things. Hartnell in his hat uh, in contemporary London, and 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 this has its own sort of strangenesses, like. I always thought he was called Wotan, but they've decided to call him Votan. But, but yeah, this is the first time that the Doctor does what Doctor does all the time now, which is visit contemporary Earth. So what a different series it was for those first three years. Um, and Hartnell, nearing the end of his reign, is by uh, is been by no means at the end of his tether, is he? Uh, I'd look how gloriously excuse me massive this computer is whereas of course and that's the the wonderful thing about the, the you know the, the future as postulated in the past is that they thought well to be impressive you have to be big whereas of course what we've discovered about technology is actually the the, the better something is the smaller it is the more technology it can fit into a compact space so uh, jackie lane on a train um i i, I really need to do um other Doctor Who actors um, uh, in in in, uh, in in methods of transport that rhyme rhyme with them. John Abenary on a ferry. Uh, <laughs> um, and and she's treated very very badly. I think, uh, as we will discover, she disappears halfway through episode two. Uh, I I think that's pretty mean. Uh, Inas Lloyd. Uh, uh, a fine producer and it seems a very old school gentleman i've seen him interviewed a couple of times and alan bennett whose producer he became spoke very highly of him of having you know proper old world bbc manners well he comes in and he fires peter purvis and jackie lane oh good slightly takey overacting there jackie good for you um and uh, oh and hello annika wills we will be talking about her a lot i'm sure um Although of course this is this is her only complete story in existence. Good lord, isn't that awful? Um, uh, so, so yeah, so I I, I waited till I, I I texted a couple of mates and said uh, I, I'm on a plane. I'm on a train with Jackie Lane. I could have been on a plane as well. That's a good ceiling shot. Um, look at these funky young things. Yeah, there's a, there's a uh, the, the the guy who has a fight with Ben is called Flash. Uh, Ewan Proctor is the actor, I, th I think, and I think that's about the only thing he's got in his TV CV. But if, if you're going to have a part on your TV CV, Flash in Doctor Who is pretty cool. Um, Flash in the Inferno, I like it. Um, and here's Sandra Bryant as Kitty, uh, who we couldn't find for ages and ages and ages, but uh, she has turned up recently and done a couple of signings. Uh, she's very 60s, isn't she? Um, I think she had a couple of... she have a couple of records, Sandra Bryant? Um, and she, uh, like John Harvey as Professor Brett, was hired for the Macra Terror. But we'll talk about... I've got the Macra Terror on the list. We'll talk about Sandra Bryant's contribution or not to the Macra Terror uh, when we get to the Macra Terror. Uh, I love Ben and Polly. Um, so anyway, we will talk about them because uh, we've got plenty of time with them in this story. We don't have, although this picture was in Doctor Who magazine where she's looking at him. 
that's yeah there was just uh, there was a lovely lovely shot of them um but uh yeah i, 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 I my my friend said, "Well, you, you you can't pass up this opportunity." But I thought, I don't want poor old Jackie Lane, who's always been reluctant to talk about Doctor Who, to uh, uh, that's the photo in Doctor Who magazine. It's when they're facing each other. That's right. Um, uh, to to feel like she's stuck on a two and a two hour eight minute journey with a Doctor Who fan from whom she can't escape. So I waited till we left Stockport which is the last stop before Manchester. So she knew she'd got a maximum of 15, 20 minutes. Uh, and I walked past a couple of times and I was terrified. I was sweating. I, I could, I could, I get, I, you know, that sort of nervous smell you get when you're a bit, a bit terrified. Uh, so I walked up and down and I kept looking around and I, and I, I, I plucked up the courage and I stood up and, and, and then I noticed that the person in the seat opposite me, uh, I love Ben, I love Ben having... Ben, I mean, I know it's uh, you know a bit, bit sixties, uh, you know, where to, you know, the, 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 the man has to do the masculine fighty thing and uh, on behalf of the lady. I know it's a bit old-fashioned now, but it's a, it's, it's, it's a great way to introduce the character. You want to go home? Yeah, go away, Flash. Uh, I know he's done a signing or two for for Phantom. And and of course, yes, they start not quite liking each other i like uh, uh michael craze is so natural i think he's great um so anyway uh yeah i i spoke to jackie lane who i'd uh, well no that's it i i sort of got up and i noticed the woman opposite me sort of flinch as if she was going what is this guy gonna and i looked straight after it. it was tracy barlow from coronation street and i think she'd seen this sort of nervous guy uh and uh i, I thought he's plucking up the courage to talk to me and of course i walked straight past her and uh, talked to the old lady in the corner uh, and I said, you know, are you are you Jackie Lane? And she said, how do you know that? And I said, oh, and I explained to her I was, and you know that I'd done a few things um, for for Doctor Who. And I tried to, you know, reassure her that you know she could do, she could take part in the DVDs, even if she was a bit nervous. We'd make it easy for her. And she said, I haven't been in a television studio for fifty years. And and I said, well, we could go to your home, or we could blind her. And I tr- and I was really gentle, and she was she was happy to talk about Doctor Who, and she was lovely, um, and. Uh, um, and I just got the impression she she was happy to talk one on one, but she was just a bit shy and she didn't want to be on camera. Uh, and she I know she had hearing problems, so she didn't want to do, you know, commentaries with headphones. This is Rick Felgate playing uh, the journalist uh, who was director Michael Ferguson's brother-in-law, uh, because I think he and and and, and there's a connection. Because I think, was he the brother of Cynthia Felgate, who was the woman behind Play School, who I think was married to... The, the, yeah, I've listened to my Who's Round with Michael Ferguson. It explains. Uh, and Rick is in three of Michael's Doctor Who's because he's Brent in uh, The Seeds of uh, De- Death and he's Van Leiden in The Ambassadors of Death. And I think he's a very good actor. Um, who's who's good in, uh, and and of course he's playing an American, so he's chewing gum, which is a lovely shorthand. And William Mervin, the marvelous William Mervin here, uh, and the wonderful John Cater. I love John Cater. Who, when I first saw this, I didn't know as an actor, and then of course I spotted him everywhere. Uh, I thought, you know, I spotted this guy, both him and uh, Alan Curtis as Major Green two guys who played quite prominent parts so i thought oh i don't know these guys um 
and it's because I'd never seen the cast list written down, so I'd probably not been looking for them because then I, of course, discovered that they had huge uh, uh, careers and CVs and were still, actually, when this came out on DVD, were still very much uh, around. And this led to me. Here's lovely Alan Curtis as Major Green. Um, uh, another gentleman of the old school, um, blazer-wearing... Uh, cricket loving lovely lovely alan curtis who who like jackie lane died recently alan died at the beginning of the year he phoned me just before new year's eve and said i i, I think I, i've probably got till september i'd love it if you could come and sort out my scrapbooks and stuff and of course we couldn't because we were all locked down with covid and he didn't have till september and he he only lived another month couple of months month and a half uh but i had a right old chat to him uh before he went, I'd, I'd, I'd visited him at home. He had a stroke 20 years previously, but soldiered on, taught himself to write again with his other hand, uh, still maintained his uh, his old-fashioned manners. Uh, and I think sometimes we have to be careful, because when we talk of old-fashioned, you go, oh, was he very sort of um, reactionary and right-wing? No, he was, uh, he, as he said, he said, I'm, he said, are you like me, a gentleman of the left? Uh, and... Uh, uh, so although he was quite establishment, he was also obviously slightly iconic, you know, a bit of an iconoclast within his own social circle. And he was very charming, but again, quite shy. I had to go to his house twice to interview him. And, and in fact, he'd have backed out the second time had he been able to find my phone number because he didn't trust his voice. But we, we, we did it in the end. Uh, and he did have loads of scrapbooks. Uh, and he worked with David Whittaker when they were both actors and he told me some really interesting stuff about David Whittaker. I'm not talking much about the war machines, am I? I'm talking about my encounters with these people, but the people are my conduit to Doctor Who. Uh, this is a great story. Um, I'm, I'm loving uh, the nightclub. It all seems so incongruous for, for Doctor Who of this period. Jackie Lane's doing a great job suggesting uh, that all is not quite right with Dodo. It's like she's got a slight headache and she's just slightly detached i'm so sad that she's gonna be gone uh next week as i say yeah because inner's lloyd yes he uh he comes in and gets rid of Stephen and dodo but then uh, replaces them with these bright young things but then hairy-legged highlander fraser hines comes in and he goes oh well, actually i don't need ben and polly much either get rid of them essentially in episode two of the faceless ones i know they come back for episode six but that's only on film at the end and you know not even let's get you through to the rest of your story and and yes and i i i, I and i i i think this is a story that interestingly um because it's set in the modern day john harvey reminds me slightly um of um well, there's a bit he does. There's a bit he does when when we get to it. But he's he's not hiding the fact that he is under the control of Votan. But yes, um, so this story is actually quite important because, well, for me, uh, because um, Cater and Curtis were still with us when they did the DVD, and I was I was emailing somebody from the DVD range, and they, they were talking to me about the commentaries, and I said, well, come on, the War Machines. You've got John Cater, you've got Alan Curtis, and you've only got uh, Michael Ferguson and. Annika Wills for the whole four episodes which are, and there's no making of either because it was one of those budget range ones so there's no proper documentary um, and those guys Kate's gone now uh, so it's Frank Jarvis, John Rolfe and loads of cast members who were alive at the time and uh, uh, and uh, 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 well the word the word was 
Well, um, uh, yeah, they didn't. They didn't ask uh, some of the cast because they assumed they were dead, sort of thing. And you go, well, don't assume they're in spotlight. It's not even like that to look very hard. So, uh, but because I thought I was just sort of chatting to another Doc Two fan rather than, of course, somebody close to the production of the DVDs, I was I was perhaps a bit more forceful than I might have been, and and that was where the conversation started. Of well, would you do you think you could? be interested in doing one of the commentaries um and i went absolutely i mean even if it's just telling you who's not dead i like the way that shot it's very clever there's something about the fact that it starts with major green dragging his feet and that the camera is slightly high and i love the the, the little turntable effect the what is it this the pottery wheel effect that uh, comes back and uses it's used a lot that kind of thing in the in the in the in the war games um I understand. Yes. Oh, well done, Alan. I think that might be Alan's own tie. I don't know why I think that, um, but I think it is. If it's uh, now, I don't know about ties, but if it's a cricket tie or an MCC tie, it's definitely his. But for some reason, I think that's his tie. Um, I'm loving this nightclubby stuff. Um, and I and when I did Evil of the Daleks and Simon Gurria talked about you know the Doctor and Jamie in episode one of that being you know it's the only episode with with the second Doctor and, and Jamie spend the whole of it in sixties London and uh, this is our this is our first episode so this must have been like the X Files you know when 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 it was actually on sort of contemporary and conspiracy and uh, you, you know. Um, the doctor consorting with people at the at the very top but actually it's the very top that has been uh inveigled by the alien intelligence or well computer intelligence uh top work to the extras who are after doing a lot of dancing in the background which which is never great fun and aren't they all cool and young in 60s and they're probably all either ancient or dead now um i i love john cater He's a terrific actor, and he was married to Wendy Gifford, who's Miss Garrett, the beautiful Wendy Gifford, who's Miss Garrett in the Ice Warriors and was in the Power Game and so much else. But as I say, I didn't know Cater when I first saw this, and then uh, I saw his name in a in a listings magazine we had at home. I didn't know why we'd got an American listings magazine uh, uh, for being in uh, Captain Kronos Vampire Hunter, which he's in, and then and then he just turned up in all sorts of telly playing. You know, mate, he's in The Woman in Black. He was in a thing called Shalom Shalom. Um, and he was top top build in that, I think. Uh, uh, it popped up in it pops up in Black Eyes as well, I think. Um, that set wasn't uh, the sturdiest. Um, but I, and I, what I like about this is that that Crimpton and Cater, who I think is is probably the best best actor in this. Um, I, lo- I love William Mervyn, and he's 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 perfectly cast a type, um, and 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 you know absolutely spot on. But I think just in terms of a, as a general purpose, all round and versatile character actor, I think I think I think Cater's the pick of the bunch, and so I like the fact that it's his character that uh, uh, that ha- that that gets a bit of resistance. I mean, he becomes a zombie like the other two, and spends the rest of the time shouting the plot in a room <laughs> uh, as the, th- the three of them do um but at least at least he he gets to show that he's got he's got some sort of pluck uh uh and some sort of mental resistance to the will of votan <laughs> uh, 
Um, but yeah, yeah, and he's doing a good job of suggesting sort of. Oh, and I like this because they use this music in the moon. Is it music? This sound effect, be do be do be do, in the moon base as well. And it's a really lovely '60s piece of thing. And it and on the moon, it suggests the moon to, to me in the moon base, and it suggests here, you know, sort of bur burrowing into. The, the human brain. I love the way he takes his glasses off, and he and he's and he, I love the way he does this. Cater does a brilliant job at resisting, but not for long. And oh yes, he's not unlike Donald Pleasance, is he? I wonder if he lost out uh, to, to Donald Pleasance for a lot of work. But uh, he's a lovely actor, and and kept going. I've got a feeling his last role was in the first episode of Bone Kickers, which. Is, probably not the best way to go but there we go uh but yeah it's a shame we missed uh we you know i'm i'm yeah so if if you interested but the d because the dvd does have shortcomings but i actually as a student i bought the vhs of this because it was for that that they started to reconstruct uh you know the various missing bits so i'd only ever seen uh, bits with the, the various edits intact and and so because even though I didn't have any money because I was a student this was the VHS of this was one where extra work had been put in to make it as complete as possible and it had got the film trims at the end or the the, the, the film sequences that they had left so I, I, I spent I don't know was I a student I may have left and been on the dole so spent part of my gyro on it but what, whatever it was I, I went to Forbidden Planet and I bought it and I wasn't in a position to be buying Doctor Who videos, especially when I had, you know, my own sort of bootleg VHSs of, of most things. Um, yes, I'm going to explain the plot to you in a sci-fi way, especially as I have been taken over. Um, that's actually, that's that's more like my, my when we get to the arc, my, my impression of the commander will sound fairly similar to that. Um, so it looks like that Dodo for her last story is going to get a huge amount to do because Jack Jackie Lane sort of gets the cliffhanger uh, uh, except of course it is overshadowed by the fact that it uh, it becomes an infamous moment in the history of Doctor Who uh, because Doctor Who who is real Quiet. Bring him here. The 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 choice to make Votan Visper um, is an odd one. It's not how you expect a computer voice to be. So I remember finding that quite surprising. I love what they do with all the graphics. So we have the 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 Wotan symbol for the credits to go over. We have the the novel way of doing the credits uh, uh, at the beginning and that sort of tick tape. And I think every single. Uh, episode introduction is different and Wotan gets an and credit don't you just love that I love and credits in movies anyway it's uh you know it's a way of drawing attention to an actor who's perhaps not the star so can't get star billing but uh, but deserves an, uh, just a slight little little bit of extra note um but of course Wotan is is not real he's not a member of equity uh uh and our force there um uh, and Votan. Now, I know I'm going to choose Votan's and credit as one of my favourite things. I'm quite tempted to choose 
the fact that it has that wonderful thing well wonderful that contentious thing of saying doctor who is required because it, it, it gives us something to debate and there's you know you can wriggle out of it you can say for whatever votan did not know what doctor who was called that the doctor is called so just substituted who uh, for as as an indication that you know that was information yet to be understood although votan does know what tardis stands for um but but that allows us to have as fans lots of sort of interesting conjecture and invent theories and that's part of the fun of being a fan and i and it's quite a nice little thing and i remember in in uh doctor who a celebration I, which i got for christmas my 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 mum flicking through that and saying you know to the whole family is because this was an interesting she said oh well apparently he's never been called doctor who on screen although uh the, the, it actually is he actually is in in one episode uh so you go so you know yeah he's like uh yeah he's 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 never i think they use the example holmes never said elementary my dear watson kirk never said beam me up scotty and doctor who has never been called doctor who except he has been called doctor who uh but but you know that was admitted to be a mistake by the production team well yeah mistakes by the production team aren't real in universe you know you you, you, you know when, when dodo leaves you know professor brett doesn't go I think Votan has just made a mistake caused by the production team. In the in-universe of Doctor Who, he's called Doctor Who at the end of this episode, and as we shall discover loads of times next week. Um, but I, what, what struck me watching that was seeing Hartnell in 60s London and the very 60s-ness of that, uh, the Inferno nightclub. Um, and how incongruous it was having Hartnell in that situation and how fresh and modern that seems and, and must have seemed uh, uh, to an audience that had, had just watched, uh, you know, the, the Massacre, the Celestial Toymaker, the Savages, uh, you know, no all strange and interesting and very different stories. Um, but, you know, historicals were more commonplace then than, than stories set in the present day because um, Doctor Who hadn't been able to get back to the present day initially because that would have that would have uh, scuppered the uh, you know the the, the 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 nature of Ian and, Ian and Barbara being unwilling uh, travellers fellow travellers so I'm going to choose Anne Votan but I might not make that my thing for the whole story because I don't know if that's going to be the first thing Pip will choose and of course I've got to try and think of what he will choose and uh, I'm I'm probably the only person that will choose the way something's done in the credits. The Doctor Who is required, he might choose. But I'm going to go, I'm going to go with my gut feeling, which was what struck me about that, which is William Hartnell's Doctor Who in his hat in 20th century London. And for the audience, here, now, today. Uh, because... 60s Doctor Who is weird. That's why it works so well. Everywhere that the TARDIS goes is strange and the soundtrack is very strange and it's a strange show. And actually, when it comes back to Earth and our time for the first time, it's still strange because actually it's strange seeing our hero um, thrust into that world, um, which I think is a re plays really interestingly as a dynamic. 
Um, and there's all sorts of other great stuff there. I mean, you know, it's, I think Jackie Lane did well, and it's nice to it's nice to see her. But I know that that's thrust into sharp focus by the news this week. Uh, and Michael Ferguson is an excellent director. Um, even Wotan's W. I love Wotan's W. No, I am going to choose. And I think it's partially because when we did Evil of the Daleks and Simon Gerrier chose Jamie and the Doctor being in the 60s and I kicked myself for not even commenting on that in my commentary, I think. Um, anyway, what's Pip chosen for episode one? Right, thing number one. Ah, he's done the music. I love him for that. I love that. Thanks, Pip. <laughs> this uh, first one, it's the fact that Wotan, or is it Votan? 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 I'm saying Wotan. Wotan has got his own theme tune. You know the tune he plays when he um, takes over Professor Brett? It goes like... There's no uh, original incidental music for the story, so it was all taken from stock, and it's mostly just computer sounds. So I always thought, watching this, that it was a joke that Wotan was so self-aware and postmodern that it basically came up with its own incidental music <laughs> when taking people over. Um, and it even says, it even says Doctor Who, and he's even got a laugh at the end. He goes. <laughs> So I just I think that's absolutely brilliant. And it even gets an on-screen credit. Anyway, that's it. Theme tune. Brilliant. Um, I can see Pip isn't going to be entirely serious about I'm going to agonise. He's going to choose something in their field of funny, which is fine, because what this is all about is I'm, I know my guests only appear at the beginning and at the end, but they hopefully dictate the style and uh, the atmosphere and the approach to how we look at, uh, at their choice of story. It's been my choice this week because I've got loads of uh, these to choose from because people have been very kind. Uh, this wasn't even on my list of stories I was going to release in the next 10, 15 releases. Uh, but I've brought it forward uh, because, yeah, the War Machines was required uh, because, of, uh, because of Jackie Lane and because... Yeah, I didn't want to do seven episodes of Marco Polo. Sorry, Marco Polo, I love you, but um, I'm a 47-year-old man in the 21st century and uh, I, I need to take a run-up, I think. Um, so, okay, so I don't get a point for that, even though uh, Pip touched upon uh, some of the things that I talked about. Uh, and I think probably ruled out... <laughs> Choosing Votan's credit because uh, he referred to it but didn't choose it as a brilliant thing. Let's see, eh? Um, but, uh, yeah, I uh, I thought that was good fun and it wasn't uh, hard to choose something. I could have chosen John Cater as well. as well. There's loads and loads of things about it. So, um, all right, well, that's uh, the end of episode one. Um, 
let's see uh, I didn't notice Votan's laugh though so I'm going to listen out for that uh, next week um, uh, is, um, yeah I hadn't uh, picked up on that but I, I do find a lot of Votan's sort of noises quite difficult to discern I mean before he says Doctor Who is re required it sounds like he's sort of he's got indigestion uh, and I remember thinking is he, is he talking oh no he's talking now um, but there we go uh, I'm, I'm referring to him like he's a an individual so it must be working somehow uh all right well um thanks for listening come back for episode two uh which is the final episode for for jackie lane um and if any if you get any mysterious phone calls between now and then uh and you and you hear that regurgitated ticket tape music bang uh don't answer it Well, welcome everybody. Doctor Who is required. So I've got some for you. Episode 2 of The War Mash Eens. Uh, and I'd like you to press play in 3, 2, 1, now. Oh, hang on. <laughs> 3, 2, 1, now. And I'd like you to press play in three, two, one, now. Um, okie dokie, everybody. Um, sorry, the sound took a while to kick in then. Um, so, when I was a wee lad, it's hard to think of this now, episode two of The War Machines was the only episode of The War Machines that existed. Now I've got to listen out for Votan's laugh. Wee. Quiet. Bring him here. Mm, oh, I don't know. Um, maybe it's just at the end of episode one because I know that they, they obviously they re they redo them. These are these have been redone these titles, haven't they? But I like the fact that everyone's slightly different. Uh, big episode two there. Um, and and this is the start of the three men standing and yelling at each other uh, in a series of interesting ways, which is what director Michael Ferguson does to uh, try to make the huge amount of exposition they yell at each other uh, interesting. Uh, and I rather like it. Um, and and yeah, and I love I love John Cater. Um, so yeah, so this this was the only episode that existed, and episode two of the Time Meddler also only existed from that. And then they both came back, but then uh, it got quite, uh, and, and then I, but I mean, episode two only existing was not a problem for me in the sense that the idea that you'd ever get to see any of these episodes, uh, the idea that they'd be out on video or repeated was, uh, uh, you know, it was a pipe dream. Um, but then, obviously, I was able to start collecting. Uh, but by the time I started collecting, the, the, the return of the War Machines was a thing. Uh, and the Time Meddler too. But I didn't know at that time that there were bits missing. So then when it was released on video, uh, they added the missing bits. And you can sort of spot them, or you could on the, on the video, certainly, because there was a slight change in quality. 
Doctor Who. Yeah, see, it's not just to say Doctor Who once. Do- All right, Professor Brett, we get the message. He's called Doctor Who. Doctor Who. Uh, and and I think then at some point in this episode, somebody rings up and goes, he's, he, stop saying that. He's not called Doctor Who. William Hartnell's like, I'm not called Doctor Who, you know. Um, doesn't he look magnificent in that astrakhan hat? Uh, that I think he what has he not worn that since Unearthly Child? I don't think he has. He looks terrific. And Ben and Polly look great as well. Um, so modern, and you know to have to have this as the first story, uh, you know in in the modern age, and he re- and he recruits a couple of companions from it. I think I think is a is a great move for identification uh, for for the young audience. And here she is, oh dear Jackie Lane, in her final episode. Uh, I yeah I. I do think she's treated pretty shoddily. Um, oh, and I've been taken over by Votan, the evil war machine computer thing. Uh, Polly's costume, I remember, looks great in those publicity photographs of her. Um, I, I should think Ben and Polly might uh, might end up being one of my favourite things, but I wonder what uh, Pip made Lord choose. That's that's great uh, exterior set. Um, Raymond London's the designer, isn't he? Uh, coming, coming from you know, cutting, cutting from the in- interior, it, it makes it feel uh, all part of one whole. Uh, uh, oh, y- yes, I'm lurking here with some chloroform. I like that. <laughs> that's that's a bit sort of it's a bit X Filesy, isn't he? I understand it's a sixties version of the Exiles with uh, that's Desmond Cullum Jones, isn't it? Who is one of the uh, but uh, one of the Dad's Army sort of uncredited extra platoon members. Uh, now I thought I had an inkling that this was Michael Rathbone's own taxi, but uh, I had a little snoop and I just now and I couldn't I couldn't confirm that. Um, Roy Godfrey, who as the tramp, I think is truly terrible in this, uh, is. Uh, uh, was uh, he doesn't do much telly beyond this I think beyond 1968 uh, but uh, he was uh, uh, he, I th- he did musical theatre I think was he a noted Fagin uh, he I th- yeah I'm going to commit to Fagin even though just because in this he looks a bit like Fagin with his silly beard and stuff but uh, there's something yeah there's, so he had yeah he had a good career in musical theatre which uh uh, uh Perhaps explains why his performance I don't think quite fits on television. So take it easy, boss. Um, uh, but what's even better is when he's murdered his spotlight picture. <laughs> it's not his spotlight picture, but uh, a wonderful portrait of him appears in the paper, as almost as if he's been going around specially posing uh, uh, for the moment of his death. You can see him playing Fagin, can't you? Yeah, he's giving he's giving stage tramp, isn't he? He's yeah, he's, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. You can see why I didn't do an awful lot to tell you. Yeah, but yeah, Desmond Cullum Jones, uh, which is nice for him uh, to get a credit in this. Desmond Cullum Jones, who would do sort of yeah, uncredited dad's army stuff because uh, he was originally cast uh, in the Web of Fear uh, in the opening scene, which then got changed, uh, and so his his services were no longer required. Um, 
but he was one of those honourable um, stalwart sort of walk-on type actors uh, on British Teddy for many, many years. Um, and here we are on film. Uh, and you f- I think one forgets because, I, as I say, I always think of the three men in the room. There's actually quite a lot of uh, uh, film here and I'm a big lover of when Doctor Who, you know, decides which bits to do on film just to make them look that bit better. Uh, and obviously the whole construction of the machine thing is uh, is a very important part of... It's a very... It's a story full of boxes. I always think that about poor old Raymond London, the designer, because he designs this, which is basically a story with a warehouse full of boxes in which machines machines emerge. There they are, the, the Wotan boxes. I wonder whose job it was to stencil the Wotan sign on. There's Pat Gorman! The mighty Pat Gorman, uh, one of the... Uh, or the great uh, extra of Doctor Who, uh, who who pops up uh, in more episodes than practically anybody else. Um, certainly nobody who's a regular. Um, but I like the mixture between film and set, uh, and the sets, the sets are great. But yeah, Raymond London then designs the Crotons, which is also has monsters that are shaped like boxes. So I don't know if they thought, we need a lot of right angles, get Raymond. Uh, or whether because this story is set in London. Well, no because unless his middle name was Gond. Um, some nice uh, high angles there, a nice high angle there from Michael Ferguson. I've got to, I've got to have an eye on what Pip will choose, which I think will be something quite frivolous. <laughs> uh, but you must, uh, you must uh, see his videos. They're a lot of fun on Twitter. Um, so, uh, yes, it, it, it does, doesn't it? It, it, it feels fresh. Uh, and 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 uh, the the shooting of all of this stuff is is giving a real sense of sort of industry and construction. Or they, you know, they they are doing their best. Frank, frankly, all that's happened so far. Oh no, the the baddies have tried to kidnap Doctor Who. Doctor Who. Um, that's a brilliant piece of bad science fiction acting from uh, John Harvey. There. Why on earth? raise your voice slightly and he must be destroyed um it reminds me of a bit of, in in blackadder's christmas carol when blackadder is uh, in the future and uh, stephen fryer some alien thing has the line send him to the sprouting chamber um it looks great on film though doesn't it and 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 uh, I, I i like his his hair and beard and stuff but he's um Perhaps I was a bit mean. No, I don't think... Look, he's running. He's doing tramp running, which isn't very good at all. I won't say nothing, boss. Oh. Oh, dear. And now he's... He's, he's spotted the thing that he's promised to not say anything about, which has effectively sealed his fate. But... Uh, and that's... That's pretty grim, isn't it? Uh, you know, the suggestion is he's just been sort of beaten to death or something. Oh, and that's the first reveal of the war machine. Uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's the tramp's photograph. Uh, dead man found in garden, but it's, it's this guy. We've got portraits of all the tramps. Um, oh, Hartnell in his glasses. Uh, I like it when the doctor wears glasses. Um, something that's come back into fashion. I've just been talking about Frontios for another podcast and 
Davison in his glasses is always rather fun. I, d- I think I lost my train of thought with William, William Mervyn, who here is the main guest star as Sir Charles Summer, giving his usual line in Stuffy Gentleman. But um, his son, Michael Pickwood, because William Mervyn was William Mervyn Pickwood, um, as production designer of, designer of Doctor Who during the Moffat era, much of the Moffat era. Um, and his daughter uh, did some art direction type work on it or, or some some contribution as well uh, in the art department. So that's three generations of Pickwodes uh, who have been who have been credited on Doctor Who. So good for them. I really like Michael Pickwode. He was a real gentleman. He looked, he looked a bit like Doctor Who. Uh, and I was quite surprised by his sudden death. I'd seen him at a few con- conventions. And I thought he'd be around forever. Um, uh, uh, Polly's been sent over by mistake. And Polly's looking brilliant in a, in a hat that's made of pure 1960s. Uh, she's gorgeous, isn't she? And, 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 and and I love the the sheer sixtiesness of her. Um, it helps to make Doctor Who feel, you know, cool and modern and funky, which it not not always does. And I like Doctor Who, and it's alien and strange as well. Oh yeah, Dodo. Yeah, you're being bad. Um. Um. What I, what was I going to say about this show? Yes, of course, because Doctor Who has been totally welcomed by. Uh, the p- people in the post office tower and now Sir Charles uh, they've bought that uh, psychic paper no hypnotism no pretending to be some no just say hello I'm Doctor Who uh, uh, oh alright Doctor Who you can come and help us oh yeah so we're nearing I mean she doesn't even get to the end of this episode bless her uh, and Hartnell I mean he's only what three stories well, he's only got two more stories after this, and I think he's—he's. He's, I mean, he's slightly shaky on his lines occasionally, but he—he he always covers that pretty nicely. But he looks magnificent, and he's still on—he's still on pretty good form. Yes, uh, it's the Doctor. Yes, not Doctor Who. <laughs> um. Oh, John Cater's so good, isn't he? Um, yeah, and this piece because of, of course that's what Pip alluded to. Of course, this has no uh, original incidental music. Um, he really goes for it. The older oh, and Dodo makes such a hash of this. She goes, "I will assume that the takeover has been successful, so I will now give myself away." Oh uh, yes, yes. But the dog. No, she's not Dodo. Oh, you're giving yourself away. You're sealing your own fate. It's 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 like the the bit in Keys of Marinus, isn't it? When when Nader says, "And how did you know?" I mean, no. Uh, but but. I mean, I can I can, yeah, I can see why Dodo might guess that he'd been taken over but she really does impress the point home until she gets discovered um but but hartnell's coping very well with with this this oh well good yeah good good lot of energy from somebody we sort of think of as being a bit 
a bit doddery at uh, at, at this stage in his uh, tenure. And doesn't he look magnificent standing in this? I like this set as well. Oh, you, he's, you. Oh dear. It's not Dodo, Doctor. Oh, Polly's taking her hat off. Yeah, so Ben and Polly, I think, are probably going to be one of my choices. Um, is Doctor Who going to stop that dodo? Oh dear! What? And it's quite a—it's quite a grim way to get rid of a companion, really, to sort of have her taken over and then not fully recover from from the alien intervention. Uh, but and Innes Lloyd did write her a nice letter, but as I say, and there was a story that she. He he later approached her for voiceover work and she said, oh, you sacked me years ago, so no, you can't. But it seems a bit odd that... It's a nice story, but it seems a bit odd that Innes Lloyd, who was producing for Alan Bennett uh, right up until his death, uh, would go, should I do voiceovers on the side? I mean, as a as a as as somebody who does quite a lot of voiceovers, I, I know everybody in the world thinks that they can do them. Oh, tell me you do voiceovers, don't you? I quite fancy a go at that, do you? Good luck. Um... <laughs> Uh, but it's, I wonder if instead he'd phoned her wanting one of her clients at a, at a decent rate or something. And she went, I'm not doing you any favours. That, that, uh, that, that seems more likely to me than a BBC producer would just go, I, I fancy moonlighting as a voiceover artist on the side. But anyway, she seems to have had some sort of revenge down the line. And I'm not normally... Because I always think, well, what does revenge achieve for you apart from a sort of visceral kick? You know, don't, don't, I don't wish ill on anybody that's done me ill in the past because actually what would something bad happening to, to them now, how would that help me? It wouldn't, um, apart from getting joy in their downfall. And I don't think that's a, a, a feeling one should encourage in oneself. Um, but I, I will make an exception on this circumstance because... Uh, it's it's a pretty poor exit halfway through episode two of her final story, um, having been got rid of fairly quickly, um, and she's and she's not the she's not the greatest actress in the world. I don't think uh, Jackie Lane, but I think she's sometimes not served by some of the lines that she's given and the fact that she starts off as. Uh, Mancunian, yeah, the Doctor Who lore is filled with sort of... And she's doing BBC Cockney. She's doing Mancunian at the end of the massacre because she was employed because... Uh, and she'd worked at the Manchester Library Theatre. She's got lots of history in Manchester. She's clearly doing a Mancunian accent at the end of the massacre. So I don't know what people are seeing when they go... And, and then she's... And then people go... And then she's trying to do Manchester in the Ark, having done Cockney in uh, the massacre. No, she's doing RP in the Ark, except for when she goes... And they go down that path there. And you go, why have you said path when everything else is is quite quite tortuous RP? Um, so, she, yeah, she obviously came on intending to be Mancunian. And they went, uh, no, you've got to be RP instead. So she did that. Uh, so she had quite a... a, a, a she struggled a bit with the, the genesis of Dodo. Uh, she doesn't get an awful lot that's good to do in the celestial toy maker but she's she's lovely in the gunfighters i think um and she gets some nice moments in the arc and uh yeah i feel a bit for her 
I feel a bit for her, and I can sort of understand why she might have not not fancied joining in, uh, you know, with with Doctor Who stuff all that much. Although, as I say, she was very lovely and forthcoming on the train, so I think it was more to do with, and my my understanding from other people who knew her um, is more that she was just a bit shy and a little bit deaf as well, um, which could make people, you know, which 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 made her uncertain of. You know, you know, engaging and stuff like that with big events. Um, now, Al Alan knew how to use a microphone because he was an MC as well. Oh, this is pretty grim as well. They, they kill this guy. Is that? I think that's Desmond Cullum Jones again. Um, yeah, get, kill the actor, not 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 some extra. Uh, but, but it's it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty mean thing to do. Yeah, sorry. Oh, it's pretty cold, isn't it? And that's a great shot. Uh, I mean, it's a great shot from the camera. It's not a great shot from the war machine. It sort of misses, but it's a. It, uh, that's. I like the way that uh, you know Major Curtis, who'd been such an affable sort of chap, is very is very cold uh, because they've had their humanity. Oh, did she? You just say where is Doctor Who? Oh. Um, and I like it, the fact that it's the person known as Dodo, but not the person known as Doctor Who, because then you could sort of get away with it, because we, we know him as Doctor Who. Oh, yeah. Sorry, you have to really concentrate. Quiet. Yeah, you have to really concentrate to understand what Wotan, what Wotan is saying. Um Yes, standing in an interesting place, please, Professor Quimpton. Um, uh, so, yes, Alan Curtis, who was Major Green I was talking about, was... Uh, oh, I, I think... Yeah that was, that was, yeah, that was a good audition piece for Polly there. Um, uh, Alan Curtis... I'll talk about Alan Curtis later. Well, no, he was... Uh, he, was uh, he was an MC, he was a pantomime actor, but he was also... Uh, 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 did the uh, did the announcements at Lord's Cricket Ground? So, uh, and he uh, he and there's a good trivia question. Major Green, Murray from Delta and the Bannermen, and everybody played by Milton Jones have all done uh, the sort of announcements at uh, at Test cricket uh, for England cricket matches. So that's nice, isn't it? Uh, and Alan did it loads and loads and loads and was uh, did it for years. Um, and then Johnny took over. Johnny Dennis, who played Murray in Delta and the Bannermen, took over when Alan had his stroke. Um, I really like Michael Craze. I, I like I like both, uh, and, and they both make an immediate impact. Because um, because I like Stephen, and I think um, uh, Peter Purvis is excellent and underrated, um, and a very very good actor. This looks so modern, doesn't it? It looks like. It looks like sort of newsreel of London life, and, and of course, a lot of this is real, and you don't get that often with with Doctor Who either. It's just sort of a, a real life, as it were, and I think that makes it a wonderful backdrop. Just just those brief shots of Ben, great. But um, he's because Stephen had been quite grumpy and quite severe. Ben is really likable. He shoots little smiles at the Doctor, and he's and he's obviously quite brave and. Uh, uh, doesn't he have a line later? That bird saved my life. I, I, I just think he's... Um, and he's a very handsome fella. And 
Oh, is the war machine going to break a table? I love this. Yes, this is. These are the things we can do. We can we can shoot men and they die even when we miss them, and we can break tables. Uh, but they're giant things, aren't they? Tanks. And this this episode has essentially been lots of built basically building a machine and and testing a machine. Um, you know, I'm not sure you could do a story these days where. A whole episode is taken up from testing to see if the bad thing you've made actually works. But um, I think it's all been fine now. Ah, now that was a slight change in quality there. So I think, um, yeah, I, th I, th I, th I think this occasionally happens where um, you can sort of spot when it gets extra grainy is because uh, because it's come from different sources and... Uh, and, and 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 the bits where we've got extra material aren't quite as good prints as 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 some of the others so kudos to uh, the restoration team and uh, all who sail in her for uh, that's a lot of whoever whoever there's a if you if you're a fan of boxes this is a this is a tricky story to watch because because the war machines don't have if 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 the earth was uh, populated just by boxes the war machines would definitely win jackie lane last credit bless her uh and ben the new companion gets the cliffhanger uh so um and wotan <laughs> so yeah so ben straight in and, and the fact that their war machine has a light on the front means that uh there's a light uh it, it, on ben which just makes it a little bit scarier than just a normal point of view shot i think the light yeah it's great it's great uh, nice, zippy, uh, interesting. Uh, we'll press pause before the next episode. Um, okay, so what is my favourite thing about this? Uh, well, and because Pip is slightly reverent, um, I just think it's got to be the fact that they keep calling him Doctor Who. I don't think the character is called Doctor Who. Um in one part of my brain. In the other part of my brain, I go, but it's called Doctor on the credits up until the end of, uh, the end of Logopolis. Um, and I still think that it should be credited as Doctor He or she should be credited as Doctor Who um, because I like that mystery. You go, is it called Doctor Who? No, he's not called Doctor Who. Then why do we call him Doctor Who? I want to call him Doctor Who even though he's not called Doctor Who because he was always called Doctor Who on the credits. Um, and I, and, and, and I just like the fact that this one episode where he's called Doctor Who loads <laughs> means that we have to have a conversation about whether he's called Doctor Who or not. And we have to um, invent our own reasons as to why not. And also, it gives us a little clue that behind the scenes there are people and they have opinions and sometimes their opinions are wrong even you know three years into the show nobody had said to them you don't call him doctor who um <laughs> so i just i loved that little anomaly and, and all the little ripples that it causes uh so yeah uh uh my my favorite thing about episode two of the war machines and isn't that good that if they hadn't actually found the other episodes we'd still have the episode where he's called doctor who all the time that was clearly why it was preserved in the archives so uh, what is Pip's favourite thing about episode two of The War Machines going to be? Thing number two. <laughs> I love the fact he's done that. 
Now, I nearly went for the shot of the guy in the shadows outside the nightclub. He's dressed like a caretaker. And he sort of casually gestures to Dodo with a bit, a bit of rag and a bottle of chloroform. <laughs> it's just really obvious. It's a good thing that, you know, the doctor's obviously got sight problems. He's got this monocle all the time and he's got his glasses because the guy stood about <laughs> 10 feet away and he's got a bottle of chloroform going, are you ready? Anyway, it's not that. My, uh, my second choice, it's another Wotan in-joke, I'm afraid. It's the boxes. It's the the Wotan branded boxes. I just love the fact that a supercomputer that's intent on enslaving humanity and it's already got an eye on brand management. (laughs) That's just amazing. I love it when the van turns up and they're unloading all these boxes with W on. I've actually got a t-shirt with it on, thanks to Clayton Hickman. I just love it. Stupid, but brilliant. Yeah, I forget... Uh, Pip is not. <laughs> Pip is going to be celebratory in a more irreverent way. I too have a T-shirt. Well, actually, it's a vest. It's a sort of gym vest with the uh, with the W on as well. So perhaps uh, I'm secretly working for uh, the evil supercomputer Votan. Um, okay, I'm probably not going to get any of the things <laughs> uh, Pip chooses, but that's okay because I'm having fun on the way. I hope you're having fun with the war machines, everybody. It's, it's interesting. It's not a story I thought would be a sort of jolly commentary because it's not a jolly story in particular. It's it's modern and, and thrusting and gripping and conspiracy and, you know, hypnotism and oh, uh, the bad guys are among us and, you know, computer futuristic events, the internet. Uh, and we're just being a bit silly. But that's okay. Uh, well, um, uh I hope uh, you enjoyed episode two of The War Machines um, and will join me for the next episode. My name is Toby Who, or is it? Well, welcome back, everybody. It is time for episode three of The War Machines. Uh, the World Wide Web of The War Machines. The World Wide Web of Wotan. It's it's the most W story uh, that there could possibly be. Um, so we're going to press play in three, two, one. Uh, well... Welcome back uh, to an episode that did not exist when I was a youngster many, many moons ago. It's astonishing to think of how many episodes we're actually missing uh, that we've we've had back since. Uh, and the fact that they continue to sort of drip back and that there's always that hope. But that's one of the things I love about Doctor Who as well, um, is the fact that it's not it's not all been handed to us on a plate. We've had to sort of wait for it to come back and piece it together and and actually the the archaeology there are still some episodes that we can't don't know exactly what happened in and you know we can we can guess from pictures and scripts and all that sort of thing but but we have to be honest and go that you know any single episode that comes back will be will be full of surprises because this would have you know just had a, a vague description and stuff in the in the, in in the script. I suppose we'd have, we'd have had this from episode two, but uh, but well, actually, of course, this episode has this because we don't have all of the fight in the warehouse at the end. All of that film sequence, some of that stuff was cut, 
uh, from the print that we have. We got bits of it back from Australia or New Zealand. Uh, no, it's Australia, I think, isn't it? But not all of the cuts matched. Uh, one of the cut cuts matched exactly. I remember them saying when they put it together, you know, it, it matched to the frame. Uh, and it's the bit where the worker gets clubbed and sort of bundled up. Um, yes and uh, oh and it's flashing black and white this one yeah he's just uh, michael ferguson such a good director go well i'm just going to make the titles interesting too uh let's do something with the, the, the those and and uh, uh, and even make each one slightly different uh and it's very computery writing uh that's a that's a nice shot that uh and i sort of i i i i, I like major green because they could have had sort of any any sort of character doing this but it's very much um you know with with him and with with sir charles and, and professor crimp who's a sort of you know typical sort of fussy professor type it's 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 that the war machines that votan has has inveigled his way into the very sort of stereotypes of the that we imagine of the establishment a very sort of popper major um you know a fussy little scientist um you know they're, they're the sort of figures we were used to seeing being in charge in dramas uh and now that they've been sort of alienized it's uh you know it is the sort of equivalent of what the x-files was doing later and i know the x-files has a slightly more sort of grown up or whatever or dark atmosphere or whatever but but that's what this would have seemed like you know that's what this was doing um they do they yeah i and i do feel sorry uh, this is this is great though um because the hum the humanity that bird saved my life isn't it polly show even though polly has been taken over um she she does show a little bit of humanity ultimately but actually this is quite creepy because because polly's great and we've loved polly and she's been funky new 60s girl uh and 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 now here she is being quite you know cold and taken over by an alien uh, or by a, by a, by a computer uh oh i'd for oh oh i'd for right yes so ben has been captured and she looks great doesn't she because she's got those big eyes in the in the shadows yeah, the machine. Oh dear, and even those double doors are great because they give it a bit of bit of drama, don't they? Uh, and 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 because we don't have incidental music, uh, the, you know, the 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 noise of the machine uh, gives gives the drama. It's really interesting when 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 the show doesn't have incidental music because its music is such a vital component. <laughs> he's having a drink or something isn't he it's, it must be what time of day is it don't see people drinking that often in Doctor Who he's uh, now Mr Rose if you've never seen Mr Rose with William Mervyn uh, it is available on DVD and it, it is a delightful thing uh, and he's absolutely brilliant in it uh, and it's just a great sort of comedy drama that's jolly and lots of who actors to spot in it too but he was a terrific actor and he's one of those actors that looks ancient but i think he was only in his 60s when he died ah now um hugh cecil at the back there is the bald extra 
he was uh, he did a lot, quite a lot of bald extra work. Uh, he's one of the technics in uh, Dalek's Master Plan. But yeah, you needed somebody to look bald. You got Hugh Cecil and Kevin Cecil, the comedy writer, is I, 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 a relative of his. Because I remember they put them saying, "Oh, we put our uncle Hugh in something." Um, and of course, the in the machine there, it must have been a beggar to uh, control that machine. I like the way it's sort of wobbling, like because I suppose if it had been just not moving at all, uh, you'd go, "Well, how do we know that it's?" It's moving, so it's just wobbling from side to side. Just to remind you, it's alive. Yeah. So is 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 Polly's subconscious going? Ah, uh, yeah. Keep this guy alive so that we can let him escape. It's, oh, he's worked up a sweat, hasn't he, Ben? Um. Yeah, so Brian Hodgson, the uh, special sounds, is on uh, is on overload this week, uh, and is often uh, like with the Crotons. Is another story where there's no incidental music, where uh, it's the electronic sounds that keep the drama going. Bing! Ah, so that there's a there's a bit of stock music, uh, but there's not much there's not much music, music. And they do like the crash zooms, don't they, into the uh, into the post office tower. Here's the new thing. Let's make it. Let and here's how funky it is. There's a lot of lights going on as well. Now I think that was a cut. I think that pull away from Votan uh, was stolen from somewhere else because. Uh, I, I I mean this is this is why oh this this clip was used uh, on a, a a documentary called uh, Resistance is Useless, um, which uh, thought the best way to celebrate Doctor Who would be to um, infer it was a bit naff in places. Um, uh, so this is the cut. This is another cut that has been reinstated. So that this was cut, and I I think it is. There's something really creepy about the way that he's he's bundled up by the machine here look at that i like that that's great it's like yeah he's um so so that was reinstated that bit and the bit where crimpton was talking uh, it's interesting because that's a cut where it's just going we will destroy all human life and they go no no we, we, we the, the people of wherever it is can't, can't stand for the idea that these machines might destroy human life i mean don't know what sort of program you think you're watching but uh, let's let's not yes let's not have moments where they threaten death and destruction that's where uh, <laughs> they poor old polly's knackered they've ruffled her hair a bit uh but uh, it's it's a pretty harsh policy, isn't it? Uh, yeah, as soon as, as soon as you can't work anymore, we'll knock you out and bundle you across. Uh, oh, Polly, you've really fallen hook, line and sinker for it. Um, good old Ben. Uh, these these two make an immediate impact, and you've you've sort of forget you can't imagine Dodo in the story anymore, which is. Which, which is a shame. I mean, I'm a big fan of, you know, Quatermass in the Pit, which this starts to resemble very shortly when the soldiers come. And all of this stuff's very good. You know, it's 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 sort of dramatic stuff. I know it's just men in a warehouse doing things, but, you know, chucking the gun from one to the other, putting the 
put putting the the those bomb things in the boxes and it's it's a, there's, there's a real sort of momentum they're preparing for facts i mean this is all i mean yeah the first three episodes are all about the preparatory work really for for the the spearhead or the invasion or whatever but that's nice anything that shows humanity seeping through into somebody that uh, has been taken over i think is quintessential doctor who uh, is that you know whatever happens um if you know a glimmer of what makes humanity special because yes we have our problems and there's lots about us that's bad and all that sort of thing but that but but the humanity that you know does poetry and shakespeare and beauty and humor and all of those sorts of things that we love that 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 we like to think make us you know make us worth saving uh when those things show through uh that's always a very that's you know the, the triumph of humanity whatever you like to call humanity yeah our ability to make a well-prepared meal and enjoy a sunset and polly does also got of course survive to make many many a cup of coffee so perhaps that's what peter davison should have said in Earthshock: the ability to have a nice cup of coffee Because it's they're, 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 and, and they're a great contrast for Hartnell, aren't they, Ben and Holly? Because, uh, you know, he's young and active and action, and she's she's sort of modern and cool and sophisticated. And then you've got the old, the the the, the old uh, eccentric guy. And I think I think I I would have happily seen another season of of Hartnell and Ben and Polly. Um, I'd have happily seen another season of Troutman and Ben and Polly. And 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 I love Jamie, um, but you know maybe if the the Highlanders had had come at the end of uh, of uh, Troughton's first season, we could have had a little bit more of these guys because because uh, once Fraser comes in and as Lloyd gets out his big red pen again and goes, well, get rid of you guys, uh, just like just just like we did the people that you replaced, harsh, and Innes Lloyd by all accounts was an absolutely lovely fellow. Um, Yeah, Hartnell's in great form in this, uh, and I and I like the sort of rapport that he had. he fits in so well with this. It makes you sort of go, I wonder why they didn't have Doctor Who. I mean, Hart, Hartnell is being Pertwee here essentially, although with slightly less contempt for the man from the Ministry. Um, but he's in absolute command of this situation, and he fits in brilliantly. Uh, in this in this sort of backdrop. Um, I, I, and I love William Mervyn because he's got that sort of thing of being terribly affronted by the fact that we might be overtaken by aliens. Um, if, yes, if you consider it necessary, Doctor Who, even though I only met you two episodes ago and we've not really been properly introduced. Uh, and so, And then the army come in and it's... it's it's the first time we see uh, the British Army uh, in uh, Doctor Who. And I know UNIT are the United Nations Intelligence Task Force, but they're essentially the British Army. Um, uh, and, and, of course, my first Doctor Who target novelization was The Web of Fear, so I consider that very much to be the ground zero of Doctor Who, even though I'd seen Doctor Who on the telly. Um, so the Doctor 
supported by soldiers. And it's a very clever way of the series having its cake and eating it because the Doctor doesn't do guns and violence and that sort of thing. But happy hanging around with people who do just in case he needs something blowing up. Uh, and that's the wonderful uh, liberal hypocrisy at the heart of my, my world view of Doctor Who. I know a lot of people see see uh, people who are, who are perhaps from the you know the right of politics, which I'm not, would go well. No, what Doctor Who does is he sees a bad thing and uh, he destroys it, which is what we should do with uh, bad things. And, and and you know you should be and 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 that is a perfectly legitimate for, for a character who's blown up his fair share of aliens. Uh, uh, that is a perfectly legitimate view, and I'm aware that mine is slightly more hypocritical. Where I go, no, uh, he he doesn't take life, and he doesn't hold weapons. You go, yeah, but but he he does let other people do that. Um, uh, I, I mean, even recently at the end of the uh, 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 the, the, the the timeless children one, where you know the Doctor goes, I can't do this, and then Ian McElhenney from Game of Thrones goes, I can do it because I'm old and don't mind dying, and she goes. Well, all right, you can do it then. You go, well, I haven't quite let you off the hook morally, has it? <laughs> excellent. Excellent telephone acting there from William Mervyn. Yeah, very. Very good telephone acting, William Mervyn, to give uh, uh, everybody else a chat. Are we still in the studio? Yeah. No, no, we're on, we're on film, and this is great. Look at this. You don't expect to see this sort of stuff with, uh, with the Hartnell Doctor at all. I still think it looks quite novel because I'm so used to his his other sorts of adventures that are either in space or in the past. You know, uh, generally, um, and I think this is thrilling. I think to have been a been a kid watching this used to. Well, I know Alien Planets are thrilling, um, but. Uh, but there's something so immediate about this. And uh, Frank Jarvis there, he was a good actor uh, who, who, who wasn't terribly lucky with Doctor Who after this, playing as he does Scart in Power of Kroll and Buckethead number two in Underworld. John Rolfe as the captain, who's a bit luckier because he's in the Green Death uh, and the Moonbase uh, prior to that. Um he worked. Uh, felt a bit, he only died last year, John Rolfe. He 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 did a shape. My my brother had one foray into the world of acting as one of the princes in the tower at Ludlow Festival, and John Rolfe was in it. And my brother Paddy said he was absolutely lovely. But when I sent John Rolfe some stuff to sign when he declined to do the Moonbase commentary for us, um, and people decline for various reasons. They want to travel. They're ill. Don't remember anything. Um, but he wrote a thing back saying, "No, no, thanks, but no thanks." So I sent him some stuff to get signed because we do some sort of charity, charity things, you know, picture frames and stuff to then get as many signatures as we as as we can. Uh, uh, he sent them and I sent them recorded delivery. He sent them back but didn't sign them. Uh, no cover note. And you go, oh, it's because now I, and I and I know because some elderly people go oh well it's because they will be sold on ebay yeah there's any reasons why people i think people feel that they could potentially be exploited so but it just and i'd said in the thing oh my brother was in richard the third with you and blah blah but no nothing i thought i thought that that yeah anyway shame uh but he's a good actor uh and he's good as the captain in this now we, we're missing some of this battle i know that uh 
the restoration team uh, pieced this together as best they could. Um, and, you know, they listened to the soundtrack and go, OK, we've got these, those bits. But there's still some bits that were deemed too violent for everywhere. Um, so we've probably got a couple of really good deaths or something or, or scary moments of peril uh, that we've lost out on. Uh, but this is brilliant. I love all of this stuff. And, and poor old Alan Curtis is in the studio uh, in close-up doing all the sort of doing all the dialogue really uh, it's, it's quite there's quite a lot of onus actually on him and john cater and john harvey where they're having to do most of the speaking about what's going but it's it's not terribly rewarding stuff to do um and it, and it you know it's not dialogue that really sort of means anything it's just sort of the enemies are in the building they must be destroyed um uh, uh, just to have something to sort of cut back to uh but it's quite peculiar and uh and I think they're rather heroic. Um, so, yeah, there's some scrapping. Now, I think that, that worker fighting there is the same worker that gets knocked out earlier. So we think he must be a stuntman. Um, so, yeah, we don't know exactly uh, what we're missing here. And I know there's a few reversals and a few cutaways. And, uh, and, and of course, it's not quite clear because the... Uh, the, the, and there's an actor called Robin Dawson who's credited as soldier, but there's not a soldier who, who has a line. So he, I don't know if he gets a particular death or something, but we don't know who he is. We can't even we don't even know which one he is really, because um, there are lots of soldiers, but there doesn't seem to be one that gets a special thing to do that isn't the sergeant, John Boyd Brent, the captain, John Rolfe, or the corporal, Frank Jarvis. Um, Yeah, go on, Alan. You, you keep giving us bits of dialogue. Uh, I, I suppose that could be Robin Dawson, could it? Because he gets bits to do. But, he's, he's, but that's stunt work, isn't it? Um, um, but yeah, this is this is very modern uh, for for Doctor Who of this of this time. Um, yeah, run away, run away. Um, Oh, somebody's going to get killed here. Yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah, because the guns aren't working. So it's... I think it's... Yeah, I, I, I wondered if it was... How clear it was whether the guns are working or not. But, yeah. Because you're expecting a big sort of... Sort of battle. There's a fantastic moustache on that uh, that soldier with the swagger cane at the back. Uh, I wonder if that was his own moustache. Uh, you can tell from the quality of this. This is the, some of the stuff that's been reinserted. Uh but it's not it's not massive it's not hugely distinct is it and it's for yeah some of it's very uh unclear um but i mean deliberately so because the you know fight sequences are you know fight sequences with quick cuts and everything are uh that helps to sell them because you know with a static wide camera or just a couple of couple of cameras on it in the studio it can look a bit it can look a bit naff as some studio bound fights in doctor who have proved over the years but i think uh, michael ferguson is, is is a good action director so i think you know his use of close-ups and slightly indistinct shots also helps us cover it when when there's um indistinct look at that mustache i wonder if i wonder if he was you know somebody we we need somebody to play a scene or a wilf's get that guy wilf he's 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 got his own mustache because sometimes you say like you know i've got my own taxi cab or you know i've got my own got my own Got my own. I've got my own military moustache. I love this shot. 
because uh, remember that was that was used on the video when they showed some of the the film sequences um, and this stuff looks gorgeous yeah look look at that that is beautiful uh, that is absolutely gorgeous pristine film looks like it was done yesterday doesn't it um, uh, and, and having those soldiers look at that that's that's cracking I love all of this this is this is really exciting and uh, thrilling and Pat Gorman as if as if you couldn't ask for anything more Pat Gorman has obviously changed sides because he was he was one of the uh, he, he was one of the the working baddies last week. Um, yeah, that now there's there's the guy with the okay moustache uh, at the back, but there's a there's another guy with an even better moustache. I mean, you could uh, yeah you could uh, you could certainly get a grip on those if uh, the situation requires you to. Um, Now this is interesting because obviously I haven't got all of the the, the film stuff. It's because this isn't quite so good quality as uh, as uh, as the uh, the other stuff. So it really has been sort of pieced together. But I, I have to say it's it, it is slightly. I, I know it's a a, a plot thing that uh, the, the guns don't work. But of course, and and so it's a very clever way of having a cake and eating because we have lots of soldiers charging around, but we don't have to spend any money on blank ammunition and all of that sort of thing but uh it does mean you miss a lot you know if you're after boy's own adventure you do lose a bit of the a bit of the exciting gunfire um but this is magnificent everybody runs off and doctor who look at him what a hero uh, unperturbed he isn't gonna back off and it's great because it's a cliffhanger of well it's not just that the doctor's in danger because he obviously doesn't think he is but it's a kind of what the hell is going on? Uh, and the light, again, the use of that light, that's brilliant. I love that. Um, although it's quite, it's quite unclear, isn't it? You're going, what, what, what's happening? Um, but that's, that's the, uh, that's what makes you uh, uh, tune in next week. So yeah, worker Eddie Davis and soldier Robin Dawson. Well, I don't think we're quite sure exactly, exactly which of those which of those two guys are because there's plenty of workers and there's plenty of soldiers but uh uh and and they're not they're not guys that have, have we've seen in anything else that's as far as i can remember from in my uh trying to work out uh, you know everything we know about every single credited performer in doctor who i know there's uh, there's always been a little bit of uh, uh mystery or uncertainty around those two but you don't care about that. What you care about is... There's an actor called Edward David in uh, The Quatermass Experiment playing Indian journalist, which makes you probably quite pleased that that episode doesn't exist because it would probably be fairly awkward. Um, but Edward David, uh, I've never seen in anything else either. And from I remember when I think I first saw this and the credits were quite indistinct, I was like, is it Eddie David? Oh, hang on, have I found... No, Eddie Davis. So uh, I don't think he's the same as Edward David. Um, and it's interesting because you think of, oh, well, it could be because they're quite close to each other. Well, no, The War Machines is 13 years after the Quatermass experiment. So plenty of time for somebody to stop acting or die or do whatever, you know. Um, but we think of the... You know, if you, if, if you don't think about it too hard, you think, oh, well, they're probably not... You know, they're... Didn't, didn't follow on 
too long. Well, actually, yeah, the War Machines is is the equivalent of uh, of 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 you know er, early Tom Baker away from away from the first episode, which you know we consider quite a stretch. Um, so although Quatermass was was a little before, it was actually long enough before. God, it was already 13 years old. No wonder I was scuppered when I started looking to it because I wasn't even born until... Anyway, uh, until... Uh, what? How many years after this was I born? Uh, eight years after this. Um, so, yeah, Quatermass Experiment was 21 years old when I was born. My goodness. Um, anyway, what is Pip Maidley's favourite... Well, what is my favourite thing? What is my favourite thing about... Uh, the War Machines episode three. Uh, is it the cliffhanger? Is it the? Is it the stuff? Well, Pip's gonna choose something daft, isn't he? Uh, uh. I do like the. I do like the stuff that, with the soldiers. Um. I do like Polly's glimmer of humanity. Uh, I think. But I think I'm going to go for that cliffhanger because it's a, because because Hartnell often, you know, certainly in this period has a rap for being a you know not not, not always on, on top of his game. I think he's absolutely majestic in this, and I think he looks great. Uh, and because the cliffhanger's got the light going on as well, but as well as that shot, um, I'm going to go for the cliffhanger for episode three. Um, what's Pip going for? Okay, on to three. Great thing number three is the cliffhanger to episode three. I think it's fantastic. You've got the army doing a runner after that pretty interminable battle scene, which goes on and on and on. The war machine's on the warpath. It's got a massive fire extinguisher, which seems to have the opposite effect of actually setting stuff on fire. Well, I don't understand why that works, but there you go. And you've got the doctor stud in its way. He steps towards the machine. He's got his thumbs on his lapels, strains his back, Totally defiant, iconic William Hartnell moment. So that's number three. Oh, and it's also worth mentioning that if you watch carefully, you can actually see William Mervyn, who plays Sir Charles Summer. You can see him accidentally bump his head on one of the arches. Watch it, and I promise you, you'll never not see it again. Ah, well, I might go back and watch that. Uh, so. Yeah, good. Now, so if you've just watched The War Machines, now go back and watch it all over again, but without me chuntering through it. Well, welcome, everybody. It's time for the last episode of The War Machines. So I would like you to get ready with your own machines. And we're going to press play in three, two, one. Uh, so here we go. The this is the last episode of the last fully surviving Hartnell story, um, which this wasn't when I was a Ben. So what was was it the the gunfighters? How extraordinary! Um, so I'm glad this got, and again. It's different, isn't it? Uh, it's different color scheme. So episode four. Um, so I don't think I've talked enough about the fact that this 
um, predict the internet. That was the sort of thing that you'd always use to arm yourself against people who say, Doctor Who's rubbish. You go, actually, it predicted that we'd have a female prime minister as if somehow, you know, getting something right that turned out to be true was somehow a a, a sign of brilliance. Um, but it is, it is an extraordinary thing that uh, the first one set in the modern day uh, predicts you know, a worldwide network of computers, which, you know, I mean, it's it's had slightly more impact on our life than causing the quite slow building of a cumbersome machine <laughs> uh, or several. But um, but it's a you know, it's a smart sci fi idea. And the tying in with the post office tower as well uh, is 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 nice, too. Um, you know, and sort of communication superhighways that we now take for granted. Uh, now this is quite Quatermassy because Quatermass often told its stories via the media, and uh, and then Russell T Davis does it, doesn't he, with Aliens of London and things like that, and and uh, uh, you know Trinity Wells and all of that. Whereas here we have Kenneth Kendall appearing as himself. He was a genuine uh, newsreader. Um, so this. So this one is lovely. Always write it like it when real newsreaders appear as themselves, especially somebody as uh, illustrious as Kenneth Kendall, who was you know, very highly thought of. Um, uh, and you know, yeah, this is very reminiscent of the the. Although they were speaking parts in in Quatermass, you know, the the pub the pub watching uh, events unfolded, particularly in Quatermass and the Pit, um, which is a great way of sort of saying the nation is aware of this, uh, and you know the idea that panic is spreading uh, and it's a great way of doing sort of exposition as well uh here we have a, a minister played by george cross named after the medal ha huh. um but uh but yeah this is doctor who very much sort of with the movers and shakers in whitehall this is sort of yes yes prime minister the alien invasion uh uh but yes, uh, so so I, I like the fact that they they, they managed to get Ken, Kenneth Kendall in to play himself. Um, this is Edward Colliver, who I think a friend of mine got in touch with relatively recently, but uh, not 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 seen him do anything else. Don't know anything about him. Uh, oh, is that a slightly broken thing he's got there? There's a bit of a hole in the top of his radio. Um, this is pretty grim, isn't it? Because don't the war machines start turning on everybody now? Uh, yes, because obviously, yes, Votan, the computer, has decided that uh, it can do without mankind. Uh, now, that music is used in one of the cyber stories. It's Tomb of the Cybermen. Um, uh, and it's a, it's a lovely paranoia about, you know, machines wiping us out. Interesting, the paranoia now is, you know, what does this information superhighway do with our information? You know, and are we, you know, prey to, you know, an invasion of our privacy, a, a control of us? Uh, now, that uh, is listed in the discontinuity guide as a mistake that Ben knocks the... Uh, it's a wonderful book, the discontinuity guide. One of the first sort of synthesis, syntheses of um, loving the show, but sort of highlighting some of its shortcomings. And it would show... It, it listed goofs, but it says that that bit there is... Ben knocking the end off the gun and uh, sticking it back on again. No, it's not. It's a plot point. Ben drops the doctor's ring, 
goes to give it to him, but the doctor's chatting away, so he gives up and he and he uses the ring. The ring is important later on, so it's not actually a mistake. Yours was the mistake, discontinuity guide. Um, because the, the end of the gun doesn't get knocked off. Um, uh, so yes, yeah, so the, the yes, the idea of the the internet superhighway. Um, I, I mean, yeah, all Wotan needed to do was really go on Twitter uh, and uh, and you know wind people up by trolling them uh, with you know Wotan one six nine two seven five or whatever. Now he's, is he going to get? I think he does get killed now. That's pretty grim, yeah, uh, because uh, the war machines are now. Uh, going to start destroying us uh i'm going to sneeze i've got hay fever no i'm not um I'd, i i wish i'd picked up on pip's idea of the of the branding uh <laughs> doesn't 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 hide his purpose yeah so the brainwashing thing is is odd because major green spent the whole thing sort of killing off slaves and all of that sort of thing and and so what has he been uh, sort of totally under the control of votan but then he needed sort of polly to say oh the doctor banged his head then um polly to say uh, votan thinks this should happen so um it's it's the level of what's already been programmed into them by votan and what they need to be told by by particularly by professor brett or professor crimpton um is never quite certain oh dear old alan he was a proper he was a fine abanaza pantomime guy but he was also a, a sort of english blazer wearing english gent uh cricket lover uh utter gentleman uh uh and uh you know very stoical taught himself to write again after his stroke uh so that he could sign autographs largely for doctor who fans though he did carry on as well uh he didn't get much to do in this episode but he was a nice nice fellow uh, yeah gosh they're all dead now because John Rolfe yeah John Rolfe died last year too uh, last year was Helen Curtis this year god I'm a anorak clad harbinger of doom um, this is John Slavid who's also in the uh, in the massacre uh, uh, but uh some of this scene is cut, isn't it? And and this is where they have to uh, 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 piece bits of it together. That's beautiful quality, that film. So that that bit of his... Oh, it's a Toby Ale, one of the few references to me in Doctor Who. Um, uh, so the, 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 his final lines, I think, were originally... Um, uh, it was still him on camera. Um and this is Dwight Wiley, uh, who's what's he what's he credited as radio announcer? He is also playing himself. Dwight Wiley was the first black radio announcer employed by the BBC. Went on to have an illustrious broadcasting career in Jamaica and Canada, um, but yes, made history and also makes history here as the first credited black speaking performer in Doctor Who. I think. Uh, although Julian Cherrier, who is Zephon in the Daleks' master plan, uh, was uh, of Indian descent. Um, and I think Chris Cornelis, who's credited as a, 
a Saracen in the Crusade, uh, but he doesn't actually have any lines. I love that shot of the war machine in the water with the bike. This film stuff is absolutely glorious. I love it. Um, uh, and there's a couple of ex prominent extras like Sam Mansory, who's one of the delegates uh, in Mission to the Unknown. But I think combination of speaking and a credit uh, is Dwight Wiley, but you don't see him. So then you've got Elroy Josephs as Jamaica in the next story, The Smugglers. Um, it's just interesting to note, um, you know, that it's that it's something that one comments upon in in the sixties because it is such an infrequent uh, occurrence, up, or, or not an occurrence up until this point. Um, but I just say that as a point of interest because you can't see Dwight Wiley, so some people might not uh, know what he represented and who he was. Uh, but he's a, he also is a person who plays himself. Michael Ferguson's really interesting with his camera, isn't he? He'll start on people's feet, uh, and he and he sort of. Oh, I think here's another cut. Yeah. So. This this. This. This quote that close up of Votan was originally a shot of uh, Polly and Professor Brett, but because it's a threat of death, uh, it has been cut. Uh, and replaced with a shot of it. I mean, it's a really interesting thing to buy a science fiction series and they go, anytime anyone is threatened with death, we shall cut it. I mean, what, what do you expect to happen? Um, God, God I, I don't know how many murder mysteries were hacked to pieces, unlike any of the people in the murder mysteries uh, who, who just disappeared uh, off screen and nobody referred to their deaths. Uh, Hartnell's on brilliant form in this and I... I I'd, I'd quite like to see him teaming up with William Mervyn quite a lot. William Mervyn's one of those people who, who sort of always look the same age, but I think he was only in his 60s when he died. Um, but I do like the combination of, of Sir Charles and, and Doctor Who. Um, uh, and it's interesting, the sort of variation in quality we've got of some of this film. Some of it's quite grainy. That's a ropey shot. Uh, that is that Mike Reed Mike Reed from EastEnders he does get a close up later um, uh, Mike, yeah that, that is him on the left Mike Reed from EastEnders play Frank Butcher was a stand up comedian and uh, 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 yeah a very recognisable figure uh, in the UK for decades especially uh, sort of in the in the 80s and 90s when he was in EastEnders as a regular um, but he was known before that uh, but he wasn't known at this point where he's uh, an extra playing a soldier in The War Machines. And another comedian, Mike Yarwood, who was extremely famous as an impressionist. Not a very good one, but uh, the only one. Again, that's a bit like, you know, uh, 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 um, a, lot, a lot of things in the sort of 60s, 70s, if you were the only one, uh, and he was the only impressionist. Uh, but anyway, he was huge, and his shows were loved and watched by many. Uh, he was supposed to be an extra in this, but he had a dentist's appointment and he never returned from it. So uh, Mike Yarwood was never an uncredited extra in Doctor Who. But if he, if he was going to be one, it would have been in this story. Um, I love the way that Ben uh, announces himself as companion material. Um, John Boyd Brent as the sergeant he's one of the actually you think you've seen so actually hasn't done all that much and, and I think stopped acting in the late 60s or his last credit goes up to the late 60s but he didn't die till 2005 and you sort of think I wonder what I wonder what he got up to and I wonder if sitting there he, he knew that there'd be somebody like me who if I, if I happened upon him while he was mowing his lawn would have been so excited because he'd been in Doctor Who 
Uh, and he was around, as I say, till 2005. So he's sort of contactable. Uh, you know, somebody who could have had stories to tell, but we uh, we never did. Um, it, we just missed a, a bit of uh, Mike Reed there. I, I love this these shots through the railings. Michael Ferguson's a terrific director. He knows how to make it look splendid. Um, and, you know, this is fairly straightforward stuff. It's... It's uh, it's it's all just trying to put a box in a box in a in 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 in, in a wrestling ring. Um, but Ben has totally announced himself as a companion. Love the fact there's a phone box there as well. Uh, the newer phone box, the red phone box. Um, but the war machines are very cumbersome. But doesn't matter. Ben has announced himself as the hero there. He's uh, and he's very pretty, isn't he? Handsome boy. Um, but you know Ben is is deferent to the Doctor. Uh, he's he's uh, you're brave uh, with Polly, uh, but he also has a sense of duty. Um, uh, but he's also game uh, and 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 does you know does does the brave thing because he thinks he should. I, I think I, I love Ben and Polly. I I do wish they had. Uh, more of a stint, really. I I I don't know quite why. Inner Lloyd fell out of love with him. I think Fraser Hines as Jamie is is great, and it was unfortunate timing for them. But uh, uh, I do think, as a result, we didn't get as much as we could have done out of, I think, a very underrated team, Ben and Polly. And I do hope that they got married and lived happily ever after. Uh, and I'm I'm sorry that Michael Craze died relatively young. Uh, uh, and uh, and. Uh, I thought could have had maybe a better a better career. Um, Hartnell Hartnell has a great face. He's got a brilliant hat, uh, and uh, is is full of beans. I mean, he's not is 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 not in any way uh, seem like a liability. You know, seeing as he's actually gone in eight episodes time. Uh, although he was obviously he was he was poorly, but also he's not that old. Like William Mervyn, I mean, there there are people their age now who are sex symbols. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Uh, whereas these these look like a couple of great grandfathers. Um, but I'm loving the amount of film on this. I'd forgotten how much beautiful film there is. Carl Conway. Uh, he's used by Michael Ferguson in Ambassador's Death. I like the verisimilitude. Ah, oh, verisimilitude alert. I use that word too often. Um, of all the sort of, you know, people on telephones in the background and, and, and there's lots of sort of stuff going on. But Carl Conway is in the Ambassador's of Death, but he's also in one of the first um, nudie films. Uh, it, when, when they had to do nudist camp films, you know, so it's not porn or anything. It was, it was, it was films, you know, set in a naturist place. So therefore, you could see, uh, I think, bums and boobs. Um, uh, and but I, it's the film that's shown at the beginning of Carry On Camping. They're all watching in the cinema. The one of the stars of that is Carl Conway, and another one is Katie Cashfield, who's a, who's one of the uh, thals in. Uh, in uh, in the very first Dalek story, um, they're 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 sort of extras, but they all get a credit in episode seven. Um, uh, so yes, Carl Conway did uh, did one of the first new D films. He was also a pirate radio DJ. Um, I love uh, 
I love all the special sounds. Very good. Again, no, yeah, because no incidental music. This set's rather nice as well, actually. Um, it doesn't doesn't quite convince you it's outside, um, but I think that's a slight lighting problem. But I, it's 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 attractive looking, and it, it's a, it's an interesting backdrop because it's because it's receding into the background with I think a cheaty cheaty perspective behind the uh, the, the, the the metalwork there. Oh, before noon, he. Uh, that, that's a bit police squad, isn't it? A uh, uh, bit of back projection there for the uh, zooming war machine. But uh, no, that's okay. That's okay. Uh, it's quite fun. Um, oh, we're back to the room where the two baddies yell the plot at each other. Um, bit of, yeah, it's a bit of a waste of John Cater. I wish he'd done another Doc Two because he's so good. Whereas John Harvey comes back. John Harvey as Professor Brett, who I think is very bad in this, because he does bad science fiction acting. Um, but he's really good in uh, The Macro Terror, which uh, Sandra Bryant is also in. I've, I haven't got a... I haven't got a clue what Votan is saying, unfortunately. I wonder why they went for a echoey whisper. Uh, that's belting along, isn't it? I know it's slightly speeded up, but that's all right. That looks good. That looks good. That looks good. No, that's fine. Um, uh, there's, there's not really a Hartnell story like this. Um, but I mean, yeah, look at and I and I like the use of the, the post office tower as a sort of geographical motif to really centre it in the, in the now. I always get a little thrill when I can see it. It looks giant, doesn't it, over London now? It, I mean, it wouldn't. It, 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 it would have some serious competition scattered around it. Um, um, so, yeah, and, and Ben, continuing his quest to be a companion, uh, goes, goes to save Polly. Uh, good for him. Why, and why do they pronounce it Votan? Because it's, it, is, it is with a W. Um... Uh, uh, and I did ask Michael Fazek, I couldn't, couldn't remember. But it, I, I remember when I first watched this, and I, cause I'd always thought it was called Wotan, uh, it did seem a slightly odd choice to say Wotan, especially when it's an acronym. It's not called the Ville operated, what, what, it, what you know, thought and analog or whatever it is. It's called the Will operated, you know, what, it's, it's, it, it, it does go quite a complicated route, Professor Crimpton here, to do that. Um, and, and seeing as he was the one that uh, that resisted, I think it's slightly unfair that of the ones to die, uh, it happens to be the person who worked the hardest not to submit. Now, doesn't he doesn't he climb out of the way? Yes, you could just see John Cater getting the hell out of there because he didn't want to get squashed and blown up. Um, but yeah, I, I I think it's really slightly unfair that of all the if if any of the characters were to sort of have a uh, a thematically appropriate death it would perhaps be professor brett rather than poor old professor crimpton who's who's just hurried back into place again uh uh and uh, and oh yes so um uh well that's a bit of a shame so it's 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 a fairly straightforward uh denouement isn't it the the, the doctor sends the machine to uh to shoot Wotan, I mean, it's it's fairly uh, plot-wise, it's it's pretty straightforward. But I don't think it matters because 
basically the the pull of this episode is you know war machines in london or war machine in london and the sort of worldwide thing going on which i think is all very cleverly portrayed um and here we get poor old dodo's uh off camera exit which i think's a bit of a blow um anyone been to the, that corner of london um I should go there really uh, i'm sure i'm sure it's been identified where it is my geography is terrible i'd have to look that up um Oh, and look at them. Don't they look great? I love Polly's costume there. Don't they look absolutely terrific? She looks brilliant in that hat uh, and, and 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 the sort of Bretonny shirt thing. I think I think I think they look just so modern and game and exciting and beautiful the pair of them. Uh I'd I'd love to have sp I'd I'd love to have more space adventures with them. She, and and she's been sacked in a really callous manner and you're never going to see her again uh hms teaser i've never noticed that before so ben ship is the hms teaser uh and i and i i like i like the out of order little joke as well so yeah so ben i didn't knock the thing off the end of the gun he's got the doctor's ring uh isn't isn't that isn't isn't that why they go back to the tardis something strange about that police box that was in one of the documentaries key the ring is it oh yeah it's not the doctor's ring it's the doctor's key that falls out of his cloak when he was didn't knock the end off the gun uh so they've got so that's why it's a plot point ben's got ben's got the spare key uh go on ben you it's your time travel and you're going to land back in the, on the same day, on the most invaded day of the of the Earth. Because whilst this is going on, the chameleons are also trying, uh, and the Daleks are there to kidnap the Doctor. So what a day! Uh, and love that. And then you have this funny look from uh, two people. Uh, one of whom is Doreen Ubels, who was in, uh, who was one of the uh, the tribe in the very first Doctor Who story. So she's in the first complete Hartnell and she's in the last complete Hartnell. And the, the, it's revealed that the voice of Votan is Gerald Taylor. So we don't get the and Votan credit, but by God, I'm happy it was there for the first three. And well done, Gerald Taylor, because he's often inside a, a monster. Oh, Eric Mival, who he, did, he was the music editor on The Prisoner. Um, I think he's still around, actually. Um because he was very young when he did The Prisoner, which surprised me. Yes, I've got he'd done Doctor Who. Um, uh, but yes, um, yeah, Gerald Taylor, you know, uh, uh, Dalek operator, but he's also Damon's assistant in The Underwater Menace, uh, Baker's man in The Demons, and his best part, Vega Nexos, in, uh, in The Monster of Peladon, in which I think he's very, very good. But uh, he got to do... Uh, Whisper, whispering Bob Wotan uh, <laughs> uh, as well so well that was a joyous I think it, I still think it's a fairly thin plot and I do think there is a little too much of John Harvey going and now we are going to do this uh, uh, and uh, and for and Curtis going do this thing do this thing um, uh, and uh, 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 but but I, I, I like the modernness of it. I like the, I, you know, the, 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 the idea of the network of computers, uh, Doctor Who in modern London, Ben and Polly, all of that. I, I do think the rest of season three or a lot of the rest of season three is more interesting. 
Um, so I'm I I am sad that this does better in polls, which I, I guess due to it existing, but also I think it's probably more the sort of story most people want Doctor Who to be. And I'm I'm aware I'm probably being slightly pretentious going, but I I like the more cerebral, slightly duller and odder stuff of the uh, uh, tiles wash, uh, Wiles Tosh, tiles and wash, uh, Wiles and Tosh. Um, uh, era but I do I'm drawn to that but I'm also drawn to a lot of it because it's missing and we can't see it and I've always got a thing about have you know conferring status on things you cannot have because that's somehow more tantalizing and more tragic so it's still it's all based on feeling sorry (laughs) sorry for ourselves um so I've got to choose the thing about episode four that I like and I've got to choose a thing overall and I think because Pip mentioned that Votan gets a credit, though he didn't choose it in episode one, he's not going to choose that. So I'm going to do a bit of gamesmanship here because I do love the fact. And I love an and credit. Uh, did I say in episode me, me, my, my friend John Bruford and I uh, always called the actor Paul Winfield and Paul Winfield because in most things that he was in, he got an and credit. And an and credit is a very special thing um, and because uh, 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 it means you're not the star but you're you're uh, slightly different from from uh, the rest of the supporting or main supporting cast because they've sort of separate you out and and that sometimes you know for a famous actor uh, doing a cameo or just somebody who's got an important part and, and I think it's all to do with money as well they say well we'll pay you less but we'll give you an end credit so it's a bit more prominent and bloody bloody blah, blah, blah. so it's a, if you're a credits junkie which I am the end credit is a marvelous thing and I love the fact that in the whole of classic Doctor Who the only end credit is for a fictional computer um but Pip won't choose that um I think I'm gonna choose the whole 20th century London you know uh, the very similitude of the of the actual you know news readers and the sort of modern day army I, th- I think I can have all of those things sort of wrapped up in a kind of contemporary action drama today thing that uh, that very much comes to the fore in episode four and my thing for the whole story is Ben and Polly uh, I love Ben and Polly. I think they look fa- fabulous. I think they're great characters. I think they're both introduced in a really good way. They both get plenty to do. Polly even gets taken over, but she's already she's established herself before that. Ben uh, immediately announces himself as terrific companion material. I think they contrast so love- wonderfully with, with Hartnell. Uh, and I think there could have been a really special relationship there with him being all sort of, um, you know, old and... Uh, he's not that grumpy with them, but but you know the elder statesman with these with these two sort of very loyal. I quite like the fact that they're deference and deferent, and they don't sort of go, "Oi, granddad, you're a bit rubbish." But they're actually, yes, you know, we we respect your years, uh, but we also provide a, a a useful contrast to them. So, those are my things. What are Pip Maidley's things that he likes about Episode Four and the War Machines as a whole? great thing number four and i'm afraid this is a bit of a silly one again but yeah it's my choice it's the bit where william hartnell 
nearly smacks his head on the top of the war machine in episode four. It's just the sort of instinctive reaction. He swerves away from it. It's just so human and real. And I love the fact that they couldn't cut those things out in the 60s because, you know, of time and money, tapes and all that. TV needs more of that, just a, a sort of really human touch. And, you know, it's a good thing he didn't smack his head, of course, but it's funny to watch. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. And this is, this is his whole thing. Okay, so last one. And if you've got this, Toby, I'll be amazed. My bonus choice from the War Machines, it's the absolutely ridiculous moustache that's been sported <laughs> by the army officer standing in the background at Covent Garden in episode three. He's got a stick as well. His moustache is so huge, it should have a credit of its own. And it even looks like a W. So I'm wondering whether Wotan actually gave it him. Maybe he was under the control of Wotan, because we know how much Wotan loves brand management. Anyway... Yeah, that's the sort of nonsense that I love Doctor Who for, really. So, there you go. <laughs> well, I did notice the moustache, Pip, but uh, I, I, I think I noticed it last episode, didn't I? Yeah. Uh, but I didn't choose it as one of my favourite things, but I do like the idea. Yeah, that's a hint that he's a Wotan. He's a Wotan spy because he normally has his moustache like this. Normally his moustache is facing southerly, but since this morning when he started talking in a monotone, it's pointing to the sky. Uh, and that's that's what they should show at the end if it was a real sort of X-Files in one thing. They'd, they'd show him in Whitehall and his moustache would be twitching and you'd hear in his head saying, Doctor Who is required. And he, his moustache would twitch and, you know, they're still there in Whitehall. Um, so uh, I, I like to think that yes, well, <laughs> one of uh, Wotan's Wotan's military slave is still waiting for phase two uh, uh, of the uh, of the war machine building. Um, well, there we go. Uh, a story that I've, I mean, I've, I like all the black and white stuff, but I, I had a slight beef against not because I didn't like it, but because I think everyone else likes it too much. And what and what an ungenerous way to think. That is, and that's what I'm trying to um, uh, inoculate myself against in this process. Is go doesn't matter what anybody else does, and and if if people if if more people like this than the myth makers, it doesn't matter. It's not it's not going to make any material difference to anybody, even if in my view they're wrong, because I think the myth makers is just glorious. Um, it doesn't matter. And I enjoy it, and I thought it was fun, and I think it's fine, and I could uh, easily uh, enjoy that without worrying about what's gone on before it, what's come after it, and what how other people receive it. Lesson to oneself. A uh, uh, bit, bit of perspective is required. Uh, no, I enjoyed that, and I really like the sort of modern vibe that it has. And, uh, uh, and I say it would be nice to see more of Hartnell doing that, but actually the fact that he only really does it that time is sort of what makes it uh, so special. I know this is the bit on the Empire State Building in the chase, which uh, is, is is you know probably today. And there's Planet of Giants, but everybody's small. But that's that's really the uh, you know that's that's the, the that's you know the yes. So they qualify, but I I think this this one is the what this is self consciously modern in a way that I think other Doctor Who prior to that sought to be. A, you know a contrast uh, otherworldly or or you know backwards in time uh, whereas actually in this one the contrast 
with the modern day is is the doctor himself and he looks absolutely great um i mean it one what, what is i wonder if he had some psychic paper and that's what we didn't see that's got to be what we didn't see when it's because he just walks into the post office tower uh, and i quite like the chutzpah of that of just going well let's not bother with him having to sort of talk his way into it it's just doctor who um so look and is he doctor who again that's up to you um I think he's Doctor Who on the credits, but he's not called Doctor Who. Um, that that makes no logical sense, but it makes it's what makes sense to me, and that is all that matters. I think you'll find. 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 Well, I couldn't not investigate that moustache, could I? It belongs to the brilliantly monikered Biff Byfield who is playing his only role in Doctor Who. He was actually uh, a saxophonist. He played in a jazz band or several. So if you can imagine that excellent moustache stripped of its military accoutrements and instead in the smoky dinginess of a jazz club, it perhaps takes on a different hue. The other excellent moustache belonging to the other military official, they're actually credited as top brass in the paperwork, not on IMDb because I'm senior military officer or something, but they're actually top brass uh, in the War Machines paperwork, uh, is Lewis Alexander, who was quite uh, a handy extra because of his excellent, neatly trimmed moustache. And he quite often played authority figures, although, like Biff, this is his only Doctor Who. Although Lewis was married to Aileen Lewis, who, like him, was a prolific uh, background artist and she appeared in an episode of Doctor Who and the Silurians so there are a married couple who both did a Doctor Who Lewis brilliantly lived till 2010 and to be 100 years old whereas Aileen when she died was 99 see there's I think there are brilliant stories even to be had lurking around in stock hired military uniforms in the back of one single episode of a shot of Doctor Who I salute you Biff and Lewis and Aileen and Biff and Lewis I salute your moustaches as well. Um, I love you all. Uh, thank you for listening and uh, for watching, if you're doing that, which currently much later because I'm editing the videos uh, much, much further down the line because it takes ages. Um, but anyway, thanks for listening. Um, oh, and as I record this, it's before the Sunday of the European Cup final that England got in as I record this yesterday. And the last time England were in an international final was 1966, when the War Machines was on. So there we go. My release schedule means that that, that will now all be history anyway. But uh, as I speak, it seems quite appropriate. And I hadn't realised that when I uh, started on this a particular adventure i just watched it because i fancied watching it um so maybe uh maybe you know something was being transferred i mean i did get a phone call and there was this this funny noise and and i understand thank you very much for listening to happy times and places which is presented by me toby haydock my special guest watching The War Machines was Pip Maidley, who can be found on Twitter at Pip Maidley. And he's definitely one of the Doctor Who highlights on that pernicious den of vipers. He's very funny and his videos are great. I would like to thank him and I would also like to thank 
the patrons who make these podcasts possible. And they include some names from the early days of when I first went on to Patreon, like Jim Sangster, Gav Rymill, David Gillespie, Andrew East, David Matthewman, Siobhan Galichon, John Rivers, Gregory Hudson, Quarridors, Anthony Carroll, Mark Aldridge, Sebastian April, Matthew Houliston, Stephen White, Rob Dawson, Darren Howard, Stephen Moffat, and Mark Trevor Owen. The music for this podcast is by Dave Gates and the artwork by Dylan Patterson. Well, there we go. Um, uh, yes, as mentioned at the beginning, it's a bit sobering uh, talking about Michael Ferguson in the present tense there. And indeed, on the next one, I did the Seeds of Death immediately afterwards. Um, uh, and what a nice man he was. Uh, I did a long Who's Round interview with him, which is available on the Big Finish site. Um, if you would like to join those patrons, and those ones I mentioned were some early uh, followers of the cause, I'm very, very grateful to them and to all of them uh, and to anybody that goes to patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock, where you can get advanced releases, bonus material. There's, uh, uh, the, the, you know, the happy times and places are five, five or six months uh, in advance of where you hear them on iTunes or elsewhere. Uh, there are also interviews with uh, cast members that aren't available anywhere else, uh, as well as uh, exclusives and uh, pictures of my dog, which, you know, I put there as a bit of frippery, but turned out to be more popular than anything I've actually done. Um, so that's patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock. If you can't do the monthly thing, that's absolutely fine. Totally understandable. Kofi.com forward slash Toby Haydock is where you can do a one-off donation whenever it takes your fancy. I'm also a stand-up comedian. Come and see me at Excess Malarkey Comedy Club every Tuesday in Manchester at 8pm. And it's online on the first Sunday of every month at 8pm on twitch.tv forward slash excess malarkey which is free we do encourage donations but it's free at the point of entry and it's me introducing three or four acts from the national comedy circuit and uh, there's an archive up there on twitch.tv forward slash excess malarkey uh, even when it's not on so check that out whenever you like and it's on twitter at excess malarkey that's an x an s and the word malarkey i am on twitter at toby haydock and these podcasts have their own feed at Haydock podcasts so avail yourself of all all of that if the two hours 13 minutes you've been listening to me blathering on isn't quite enough for one lifetime doctor who is required bring him here we just pretend he didn't say that folks yeah absolutely great yeah that never happened well except for next week when i get all the human guys to say doctor who a lot as well yeah yeah that that didn't happen either didn't it but it's it's there didn't happen nothing to see here you sure go away <laughs>